0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Devils Talking Padres. I'm Dominic Stern, joined as always by Bobby Murphy, and today we have a guest, a dear friend of ours, Cade Cronemeyer. Cade, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. How are you guys?
0: Uh eh, I could have been better. Padres dropped a tough series to the Dodgers, but Padres played well. Bobby, uh, how are you doing today, and what were your thoughts on the series? I'm doing good, Dom. I'm uh, feeling a little bit of pain after tonight's game. It...
2: We had a great comeback, almost got almost got away with it and it just came down to the to inches and it hurts. But overall we played pretty well in this series. First game was first game was good.
0: Yeah, you know, to to take one game from this very, very talented Dodgers team, I think, shows that this team has some promise and the fact that they were right there with them for the other two games is very encouraging.
1: Cade, do you have anything else to say on this series? Yeah, just the same thing. I think that it's encouraging to see us competing with the Dodgers. Uh, it's something we haven't been able to do in years past. And uh, I think a lot of people, have, uh, players have stepped up in this series. For for example, Cronenworth, Grisham, Tatis all looked really good. And that's with not a lot of production from Pham and Machado. And I think once we get those guys going, it'll be even better. So. Yeah, you
0: guys mentioned... Manny Machado, his struggles. You also mentioned Tommy Pham. It's my turn to give my devil and wildcat of the week, and my wildcat of the week is going to be Manny Machado. He, he's he been struggling coming into the series against Colorado. His batting average is pretty low. His OPS and sling percentage, they were doing well, but all those numbers have gone down since that time. The Potters brought in Manny Machado to hit and clutch situations, and he hasn't really done that. Now, He did hit the ball hard in that ninth inning against Kenley Jansen. Unfortunately, Chris Taylor was deep enough for him to get behind the ball and then throw out Trent Grisham. But Manny hasn't really delivered. He's struck out on multiple occasions with runners on base. And the Padres need him to be at his best for the Padres to be at their best. And if they want to beat the Dodgers, he needs to step up his game. And for tonight, that just wasn't the case for the past week. He hasn't been at his best. I'm confident that he'll get there. He's getting on base. Teams are trying to pitch around him because they still fear that he's that talented player that we all know Manny Machado is. So I'm not giving up on Manny, but he needs to be a little bit better. Uh, it's it's frustrating to see a player get paid so much money, have so much hype, and then he's just not delivering and not to mention, I think we'll talk about this later, but when Luis Patino was pitching in the sixth inning there was a ball hit in the 5-5 hole that Manny Machado might have had a chance to get and you normally see Manny Machado sell out because he is a premier defender in this league and he can make those type of plays but you kind of just saw him reach out and didn't really give 100% effort on that play and who knows if he makes that play and Padres turn two I'm not saying he would have, but if he does, then Jock Peterson doesn't hit a three-run home run, which ended up being the difference in Wednesday's ball game. So, Manny, we expect a lot out of you. I know you expect a lot out of yourself. You need to see a little bit more improvement uh, for this ball club to be successful. And then my Devil of the Week. I tried to avoid picking Fernando Tatis Jr. and Trent Grisham because those have been the guys that really stood out and. There was really no pitchers that have stood out over the past couple of days. And the easy choice here was Jake Cronenworth. And he's just been unbelievable for the San Diego Padres. Coming into tonight's game, he was 6-for-18 with the bomb, five runs, three RBIs, and then he hit a double off the wall in tonight's game. Not to mention, he's been playing elite, and I mean elite defense at first base. He's showing Eric Hosmer what good defense looks like and what Eric Hosmer looked like. Back in Kansas City. And I'm not saying that when Aaron Cosmer comes back, he can lose his job, but it's a possibility that Aaron Cosmer could DH because the DH has been kind of a revolving door, and then we can keep Cronenworth at first base. And that allows there to be a platoon option at second base with Greg Garcia and Jerkson Profart. So Jake Cronenworth wasn't expected to see a lot of playing time coming into this year, but he's made the most of it, and he's certainly going to keep the Padres' infield situation interesting for the next couple of weeks. What do you guys think about my choices with Manny Machado and Jake Cronenworth?
2: I love your choice. Cronenworth, he's been super fun to watch. He's had a bunch of big hits, big doubles, big home runs. And as you mentioned, Dom, his defense has been amazing. He had some diving plays. He had that one play on that line drive on tu- on Tuesday where he just leaped up and just caught it. Kind of Tatis-esque, like that play from last year. But it was just amazing to see.
1: Yeah, and back on Cronenworth, too. I think that there was a statistic that said that he had only played nine minor league innings at first base, and just to see what he's been doing is unbelievable. He looks comfortable at the plate, and you have to applaud Preller for getting that type of player uh, in the FAM deal, and a lot of people thought he was just a throw-in, but uh, he's proving everybody wrong, and it's really, it's really great to see that.
0: FAM brings a lot of the value in the clubhouse, but based on his performance so far, Jake Cronenworth has been the bigger part of that deal so far. Do I expect that to be the case going forward? Absolutely not. But Jake Cronenworth has been that guy. And you heard AJ Pollock say it in a press conference last night. He said how he's really just trying to not hit the ball at the Cronenworth guy. He's been all over the place. So Cronenworth is getting the respect of his opponents at just just as a rookie. And that, that speaks volume, especially coming from AJ Pollock, a veteran who plays for one of the best teams in the league. So let's jump into the series game by game. First game, this game is beautiful to watch. Padres played so well this game. Chris Paddock started. First pitch of the game was about as bad as it can be. Fastball and Jock Peterson just ripped it. Jock Peterson really had a great series. He always kills us at Petco Park. And he got a home run. But Padres responded in the first inning with a Trent Grisham home run. And then in the fourth inning with another home run, this one off the bat of Will Myers. And then the Dodgers scored two in the fifth. Uh, Chris Paddock looked a little shaky that inning. Dodgers put together some really good at-bats, as they always do. And then in the bottom half, Fernando Tatis Jr. did what he does best, went in yard. Kid's just unbelievable. In the sixth inning, the Potter scored two runs. And that was all they needed as they ended up winning this game 5-4, out hit the Dodgers, 9-6. to six. Uh, Let's start with our guest, Cade. Cade, what do you think of this game?
1: Obviously a fantastic game. Uh, something I wanted to bring up was just Paddock being able to bounce back after that leadoff home run. Uh, we've seen it before, but he just proved again that in times of adversity, he can bounce back in those situations. Uh, the Trent Gershom home run was unbelievable. He continues to produce. And, I mean, he's just such an upgrade over Margot and a lot of other players center fielders who we've had in the past. It's just just a great thing to see. And then uh, in the ninth with Yates coming in, giving up his leadoff home run and then being able to close it after a couple of rough outings was also really great to see. Um, Hopefully he can settle in as the season progresses.
2: Yeah, as Cade said, I I love to see Yates settle down after that home run. He struck out the next three batters to come out with the save, and he needed that. He really needed to get his... His, himself back in check, and he did that after that home run. What really impressed me this game was Will Myers. As it, you guys said with Trent, Trent Grisham, he had that home run and two hits. Myers also had two hits. He went two for four the whole series. We'll get to it to the other game soon, but he went four for eight in this whole series with two home
0: runs, and he just looked absolutely great. Great. Right, you guys mentioned Yates. He threw a lot of pitches, but he's had these two, these past two games off, and he gets the off day tomorrow on Thursday, and then a big series against Arizona again. They've been rather disappointing, but they still have a lot of talent in that lineup, so I'd expect Yates to be going once or twice this upcoming series against Diamondbacks. Moving on to the second game, this game started off great. Uh, Dustin May, he was filthy. This dude's going to be a killer for the Padres in the near future. It's going to be interesting to see how him and Walker Buehler go for that ace spot for the Dodgers going forward. Potters got it going early. Uh, In the third inning, they struck on a Fernando Tatis double down the right field line where Francisco Mejia trucked catcher Austin Barnes, and Barnes dropped the ball. Then the fourth inning, we talked about it already, Jake Cronenworth crushed a two-strike pitch into right field. That was his first career home run. But after that, Potters' batch just went silent, and Denonzo Lamette lost his no-hitter in the sixth inning. Uh, A lot of people will blame the announcers for the jinx, but it's really tough to blame. Cody Bellinger put together a good at-bat, and then Corey Seager drove in both guys. Trent Grisham bobbled the ball again. That's not the first time we've seen him bobble a ball in the outfield. Hopefully it's the last time. Trent Grisham looks like he's a promising young defensive center fielder. And then the bullpen kind of blew up. I have a couple of notes on that. We'll see if any of you guys touch on that as the Padres dropped this game 5-2, to two, being out-hit 6-4, while the Padres also made two errors. So, Bobby, we'll start with you this time. What did you think of this second game? The
2: second game, as you said, we got we got the bats going a little bit early. We only had four hits this game, and two of them were home runs. Against the Dodgers team like this, we're going to need to hit. Their lineup's amazing, and they didn't even have bats this series. He came in on Tuesday as a defensive replacement, but I don't think he had any at-bats all series, so... We lost the series two one obviously and there was no bet, so I was I was happy to see no bets in this series, but that would have been scary with having that lineup. But with with the second game on Tuesday, it was it was hard to watch with our bats. From the fifth inning on, we couldn't get anything going. As I said, only four hits in the whole game. And Lamette, he was great through the first five innings. As you said, he had a no hitter going into the six. One thing that surprised me, he only had two strikeouts in five and two thirds innings. Didn't really matter because he was getting guys out. But what hurts was the bullpen. They didn't do well. Stamon, Hill, Pierce Johnson, all allowed to run. And as you mentioned, the, that Grisham error, that really hurts. That was two outs. And if he fields that cleanly, he either keeps the guy at third or can throw him out at home. And that was a time run. So that hurt a lot right there.
1: Yeah, back to what Bobby was saying about uh, the Lamette statistics with the walks and strikeouts. Uh, Through five innings, he had one strikeout and two walks, which is pretty uncharacteristic of LeMet. Normally, he's striking more batters out. And then Tingler decides to go with him in the sixth, uh, which was interesting because it was the top of the lineup, two lefties up, Peterson and Muncy. And it was also the third time through. And I remember texting a buddy of mine saying, wow, kind of surprised you didn't pull him here. He leaves him in. And he gets the first two outs and then hits Turner. And then I think at that point is where Tingler needs to put in a lefty. In my opinion, it should have been Pomeranz. But he leaves him in, still leaves him in for Bellinger. And then Bellinger gets a hit. And then Seeger tied the game up. So I don't I think this is a good time to talk about Tingler's bullpen management. Um I know that Dom and I have been talking about this, but I think that you guys have your thoughts. So.
0: Bobby, I'll let you go first on that.
2: Yeah, his, his bullpen management has been great yet. He he's not put in – and that's really one of my – I think that's the only complaint I really have on, on him so far. I don't know what you guys think, but his bullpen management hasn't been great. I know we did see Pomerantz in this first game, so I don't like. I don't know if we would have wanted to use him in on Tuesday or Wednesday, but this Dodgers lineup is full of lefties, and – I would have loved to see. I mean, that's why we got Tim Hill. He's a lefty. We got him to throw against lefties, and he just didn't do he just didn't do well in that game on Tuesday. But I would have loved to see Pomeranz. He's been great this year, and against this Dodgers lineup with lefty heavy, I would have loved to see Pomeranz late in late in the game on Tuesday or Wednesday.
0: Well, the problem with Pomeranz was that he pitched Monday, and I said on last week's or the last episode about bullpen management and the Padres, when they were winning, they had to go all out to try and just get that one win against the Dodgers. And they ended up getting that win. But when the Padres were tied in the sixth inning and they went to Craig Stammen, because he's a significantly different pitcher than the he got the job done. That's cool. But the problem was, is that Craig Stammen comes out for the next inning and at that point, the Dodgers have a chance to game plan for Craig Stammen in between innings, because they can go and look at his stuff, see how he's pitching that last inning, and the coaches have time to adjust their strategy because Stammen's less of a strikeout guy; he's more of a movement guy, try and get you to hit the ball off the end of the bat or jam you or throw a backdoor sinker to right-handed batters. But when you bring him back out there, they don't have that strategy in. And then they scored in the seventh inning. It was it was a pretty lucky run considering the fact that Barnes hit a little dribbler to Stammen. Stammen had a tough play, he made a bad throw. Barnes gets second base. And then they went to the bullpen to try and counter Jock Peterson and then Dave Roberts countered with A.J. Pollock, who's been really good this year. And Tim Hill, he's not going to do very well against right-handed batters. Pollock made him pay. And then Tim Hill ends up finishing the inning... And what does he do? He comes back out for the next inning. And same thing, because the Dodgers can now go into the dugout and make a game plan for the next inning about how they want to hit him. And what do they do? They score in the eighth inning. And now the Dodgers didn't score off him, but they got two runners on before Pierce Johnson had to come in and try and save the day. He couldn't. And then Pierce Johnson ends the inning. But then Pierce Johnson comes back out for the ninth inning. You see a pattern here? These guys... They finish their inning, and they can be pulled. But instead, the Potters bring out the same arm. The guys have already seen this game. The coaches have now gone in and have developed strategy for it. And then they come in and they allow runs. It's mind-blowingly bad bullpen management right there. Like, that that's just eye-poppingly bad. To use the same strategy, three straight innings, and have it backfire all three innings is bad. That's inexcusable. Now... Hopefully, Jason Tingler will learn from this game because we are playing the Dodgers. You can't expect to beat them that often because they're a really good team. And you cannot do this as much going forward. Because I get it. If the dude is dominating and he didn't throw a lot of pitches or it's a guy like Drew Pomerantz who has starters experience, can go more than one inning, by all means, do it. But bullpen guys are meant to come in, finish the inning, and be done. And the fact that we did it with three straight bullpen pitchers and all three of them came back out in the next inning and were charged with an earned run is bad. It's awful bullpen management. There's no other way around it. And do you guys agree with me on that point?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, and back to the Pollock pinch hit spot, what I didn't understand about that was why he wasn't walked to get to the lefty Muncie with Hill in. I thought that was a little mind-boggling there. But back to Tingler's bullpen management in general. In a 60-game season, we don't we don't need to conserve arms or like leave guys in. And my biggest complaint with Andy Green was that he was he would tax the bullpen. And last year and the year before, he just ruined, for example, Stammen early in the year by throwing him so often. And I was hoping that that would change. But Don, I thought you said said it well the other day when you said that Tingler has proven that he can coach. But he's yet to prove that he can manage. And I think that going forward, uh, that's going to be an interesting topic to bring up uh, about the bullpen. Yeah, and he's done a good job
0: with making
1: the lineups, getting the best
0: out of these guys. But at some point, that can only do so much when you put guys not in the best positions to succeed. And when you bring in Tim Hill, knowingly that they're going to pinch hit a right-hander, and you leave him in the face that guy when you know statistically that you're putting so yourself in a disadvantage, you're not setting him up for success. It's I I have faith that Tingler will learn from his mistakes. He didn't really get the opportunity tonight because he was ejected. But I I have faith he, he's an analytical guy, but this this was a learning moment. And hopefully he'd learned from it.
2: Well, one thing I did like about Tingler this series was his defense on the shifts. He was moving Machado from third to short to shallow right field, and he got a bunch of assists on that. As I said, with this lefty-heavy lineup, we got Muncy, Bellinger, Jock Peterson, all of them on either Monday or Tuesday or both. The Dodgers had a bunch of ground outs that could have been singles to right field, but Tingler had Machado put right there. It was just perfect placing
1: for him. Yeah, Bobby, that's a great point. Um... I remember, again, going back to Andy Green, when he got hired, a big thing was that he was an analytical guy who uh, knew how to shift. I remember that was like a big topic. And it just felt like no matter what the shift was, the ball would still get through or it just never worked. And this year, it seems that with Tingler and the shifting, it's been really working. And that's been a welcome sight to see because in past years, we haven't had that much success. And his, his uh, decision to move Machado – into the kind of shallow right field area like that rover position uh done really good things for us so right and that's where
0: you're seeing the positives of jay's tingler and i think so far the positives have outweighed the negatives the potter's are at seven and six two of those losses came to the dodgers and one of them was a game where the Podgers bullpen just absolutely choked and you know if you were to tell me the Podgers would be seven and six and sitting in a playoff spot at this point i'd be happy so I think the positives are outweighing the negatives when it comes to Tingler, which is good, but he definitely has some stuff that he should definitely clean up if the Padres want to keep winning going forward. So let's talk about this last game. Absolute heartbreaker. No other way to describe it. Um, Dodgers got started early in the second inning with two run bomb by Jock Peterson, who as I already mentioned today has just killed us and killed us in general over the past couple of years. Hopefully, he leaves the NL West this offseason. I can only pray. And then in the fifth inning, the the Dodgers stringed together a couple of hits. And that's how they scored a couple of runs. But then the Potters responded. And Tatis hit an absolute bomb. It says 430 feet here. I'm not exactly sure if that's correct. But got to give some credit to Jerickson Profart. Worked a two-out walk. And then Tatis hit a ball to the moon and had one of the sexiest bat flips I've ever seen in a Padres yeah. uniform. But, like all good teams do, the Dodgers responded with three runs in the top of the sixth on another home run from Jock Peterson. And that was the last time they scored. And this was off of Luis Patino, who was making his MLB debut. We'll, we'll discuss Patino in a bit. But then, the Padres responded. And you gotta give credit to the Padres because the Dodgers certainly look like at this point, they're up 7-2. to two. They've got their bullpen in, which has been lights out all year. And... They Padres battled Greg Garcia, had a good at bat to drive in a couple of runs. There was that weird relay throw from Kike Hernandez, and the Manny Machado he walked again. Manny's getting on base, that's why I'm not too concerned. Greg Garcia, El Cajon's finest, the pride of El Cajon, East County, uh, Valhalla alum. There, I said it, Bobby. Greg Garcia, he's been clutched all year for us. I I wanted to pick him as devil of the week, but he hasn't really played enough. So play Greg Garcia more at second base, please. And then Will Myers hit a home run in the eighth inning to get us within two runs. And then the ninth inning, this was where the depression hit. Uh, man, the, this, this this was tough. Padres put together some good at-bats after Profar struck out. Tatis worked a great walk. Grisham crushed a single. Then Fam battled off a really tough pitch, Tatis scored, and then Grisham got to third And At this point, you're seeing Manny Machado up, and you're like, he's due. Takes an outside pitch, hits a hard line drive to left field. Chris Taylor catches it and makes an absolutely perfect throw to throw out Trent Grisham by less than a foot. And that that just sums up Padres versus Dodgers in a nutshell over the past couple of years. Because... There's so many close games in, I don't want to say this rivalry, but in this in this matchup. And the Dodgers get almost every break every year to go their way because they're the better team. They end up playing better. But this one just felt even worse because the Padres did everything right all game, yet they get beat. And it just sucks, and it just shows that the Padres are so close, but they're not quite there yet. What do you guys make of this game?
2: Yeah, I mean, our bats our bats woke up late. One thing I wanted to touch on, it's a lot of the small things, and that's what we need to do to beat the Dodgers. One thing I was, I was wanted to mention, top of the fifth inning, the Dodgers scored two. It started with that Jaco Peterson walk, and next at bat, pass ball for Hedges. And, I mean, the next two at bats were single doubles, so he still could have scored anyway. You never know what could happen with the runner on a different base. But it's just a high fastball, and that's why Hedges is in there to play defense. And it just goes off his glove, and Peterson advances to second and ends up scoring on that at-bat. Um, so it's just the small things that hurt. bottom seven also. We had, I mean, this isn't really small things, but it's, it's how baseball works. We had first and third with one out, and we have FAM and Machado up next. All we need FAM to do is maybe a little dribbler, maybe just some kind of fly out to the outfield to score that runner. Every run matters, especially in, of course, a one-run game. So it's just the small things that matter. I'd love to see our guys do better. Machado went 0 for 4. He was 1 for 11 this series. And the top five in the Dodgers' order, they went 2 for 20. And they still scored seven runs after that.
1: Yeah, uh, I'd like to touch on the ninth inning again um, with Machado's sack fly. Before he was up, I just thought that He had to get something done there. He had to put the ball in the air and he does that, but it's an outside pitch makes kind of a weak contact and Taylor's coming in on the ball. And I was a little surprised to see Grisham tag. I mean, you probably have to tag in that situation, but with Cronenworth up lefty, righty swinging a hot bat, I thought it was a little ambitious and sometimes I think Grisham is faster than he really is. um, But Good slide from him too. We just didn't. It was just a perfect throw from Taylor. But yeah, Machado's just been a little disappointing for me. Um, his bat looks a little slow. Um, seeing him foul off like 93 miles per hour is a little concerning. Things of that nature. Um, so hopefully in Arizona or when we play the Diamondbacks, he'll uh, bounce back.
2: Yeah, and as you said, that that was the that was Machado's first pitch up his at bat, and that was an outside pitch, as you were saying. And what he did, what he did there, he just pulled it. Weak line drive to left. If he can somehow, even maybe watch that pitch, it's the first pitch. Just wait for something good, or even go off on that. That could be down the right field line. That could be a walk off, two run scoring, easy win right there. If he can just get it right, right down the right field line. If he hits that down the right field line, that could be an easy walk off with maybe not even a play at the plate. But yeah, he just needs to have more plate discipline there. I mean, he kind of did what he needed to do, get it to the outfield. But who knows? If he just hits that a little bit harder, then that's then that's a tie game right there. Yeah,
0: and Manny earlier in the game crushed a ball straight at Cody Bellinger. So he he's not getting hits, but he's hitting the ball hard. He's also getting on base. His average is 200, but his OBP is 322. So that just shows you. I'll say it again. Pitchers. Still don't want to face the Manny Machado. They know he's good. And I think almost every Padre fan knows he's good. He's just in a slump right now. And we saw the Manny in late June last year. Where he went on just two weeks of just killing the baseball. And if he can do that. And he's always going to play his good defense. Because he's a ministro. He's always going to play good defense. But if he can swing a really hot bat like he showed at points last year. Oh man. Manny Machado is going to make his money's worth. Right now, he's not really doing that, and that's fine because I still have faith in him. I think a lot of Padre fans still have faith in him, but the way he's gotten off to a start in 2020 has been a bit disappointing for us.
2: Yeah, I totally agree, and before we go on to the next series, we talked about it before. I kind of wanted to see what Cade's take was on the catcher situation with Hedges and Mejia both struggling. Cade, do you have anything on that you'd like to put in? Uh, well,
1: I would continue to go with Mejia at catcher if you're going to not call up anybody. Um, but I think it's about time for Torrance to get called up. Hedges uh, nor Mejia are hitting. Uh, I think Hedges has three, maybe four pass balls on the year and he's really in there to play defense. Mejia looks lost at the plate, and I think that we really don't have that much time to wait in a 60-game season for our catchers to start producing. Hopefully soon Torrens gets called up. I know that he is on the taxi squad, so he's been with us, and I think that would be the best course of option for the team uh, going forward.
0: I, I definitely think there should be a change in what's going on. Austin Hedges only hitting 100, hasn't gotten a single walk all year. Francisco Mejia hitting under 100 at .095, and we know Austin Hedges is in there for his defense, so – His lack of bat isn't too surprising, but Francisco Mejia continues to not show great play discipline, and he needs to establish that, and if he does, he's going to be a top five hitting catcher in the league, but until he shows that, he's just going to be probably an average hitting catcher. I think he's definitely better than what his numbers are showing right now. And then, like you guys mentioned, Austin Hedges has a couple of pass balls. I think the first two weren't necessarily his fault. He set up low and inside or low and away, and then the pitcher threw a high pitch to the other side of the plate. It's not really his fault. Catchable balls for sure. But the one tonight was really bad. He was set up a little low, and the pitch was high. But he, he got a glove on that one. That one should have been caught tonight. We hold him to such a high standard. And any time pitching staff doesn't perform well with him, and he makes an error behind the plate, we, we hold him accountable. And that's because he doesn't do anything at the other side of the plate. But I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Cade. We've got two catchers that seem like they're studs going forward, Luis Torrens and Luis Campusano, the two Luises. And I think Luis Terenz is a hybrid of both guys. He's better defensively than Mejia, but he's also better than Hedges hitting-wise. He's worse than Mejia hitting-wise and worse than Hedges defensively. So he's right, in, he's right in the middle. And he showed in September last year that he's a capable major league catcher. So I don't see why we don't give them another chance going forward because the two guys that we're playing right now aren't doing well. And in a short season in which we've played 13 of the 60 games, we're already a fifth of the way through the season, which is crazy to say. If it's not working, we can't just keep throwing these guys out there hoping it's hoping it's going to work. That's just probably not going to happen, especially when we platoon them or just switch them. So why not give Luis you know, three or four starts? You're like, hey. Let's go see what you can do. And if it doesn't do well, then, you know, you say, all right, oh, well, we tried. We're going to send you back down, and we're going to give Austin Hedges or Francisco Mejia another shot. But when they keep trying to do what they've been doing and it's not working, it's really discouraging to watch. And another thing that happened in the series was we got to see the debut for highly touted prospect Luis Patino. First inning, he, he got shown up by the Dodgers. You know, it was bound to happen. This team has got too many good hitters. But the second inning, he really showed his composure and the type of pitcher that he can be. Uh, his final line was on 32 pitches, he threw 22 strikes, which for him is pretty good. He doesn't have the greatest control. Uh, three hits, three earned runs, no walks, which is good, and two strikeouts. So, what do we think of Patino today?
1: Oh, I think he had a very good debut. Uh, In spite of the Peterson home run, uh, I thought his pitches looked really good. Uh, He showcased his fastball, which was hitting consistent upper 90s. And then that slider that we've all heard about. And then his changeup was also looking really good. And I hadn't seen that before. I'd like to talk about what led up to the uh, Peterson home run. So Patino is facing Chris Taylor, and he elicits weak contact. And it was in the in Machado's range and I think to me and to you guys and a lot of people watching, we thought that Machado should have laid out or even just grabbed that double play ball and he would have been out of that inning and he probably would have gone two scoreless, which would have made his line look even better. Um and I don't think that that Peterson home run is much to look into just because of that and because his stuff looked pretty good tonight. So
2: yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I, that that's a tough lineup line to go against. We all know how good that Dodgers lineup is, and he had to start off his MLB career with Bellinger, Seager, Taylor, and Chalk, and that's tough to go through. But once he got through that inning, he went, he went top seven, and Mejia was actually catching this inning. I don't know, probably, I don't know if he felt more comfortable with either, but with Mejia, he went one, two, three. He got Pollock, Muncy, and Turner to just foul out, strike out, and fly out. So that's seventh inning. He looked really impressive.
0: You mentioned that Patino home run to Peterson wasn't much to look at. And I agree because that was a very good pitch. And Jock Peterson, as we all know, just kills us. And he fought off a good pitch, got his hands to an inside fastball. The Patino's got a high spin rate fastball, and he just turned on it and he crushed it. There's not much you can do. He threw a pretty good pitch. Going down and into lefties is always risky. He tried it, it didn't work, but you just took your cap. There's multiple plays tonight where you can say the Padres did everything right, but the Dodgers are just that good that it didn't matter. And you're fine with losing those games. As much as they suck, you're fine with losing them. Any wow. last notes on this series before we move on to our talk about the downbacks? Um, I know that you want to say,
2: oh, like, we're fine with that. But, I mean, it's a three-run homer. Obviously, it's his debut. It hurts. We hate to see that happen. And, and, he, he, and he pitched pretty well, but just— always that that one more bat, like you're saying just that one extra thing that they're just that much better at than us
1: yeah just wrapping up my thoughts in the series um i thought each game was encouraging in its own way um and especially tonight's game we were down seven two just being able to come back is something that we wouldn't have been able to do in previous years and i think that maybe with one more one more arm and one more bat uh, we'll be competing with them um, pretty fiercely. So I'm looking forward to that.
2: Yeah, and yeah, I, I mean, I was impressed by the series. That game on Tuesday was not as good, of course, but we fought back and I was really impressed by our boys on, on how well they did on in Wednesday's game, fighting back and just almost getting there. But one thing I wanted to talk on just shortly was is there, just because of how short that that ball was in the outfield, is there any reason you guys would not have sent Grisham? Because we had Cronenworth coming up next. I, f- I fully would have sent him
0: 100%. Was there any doubt for you guys? No, I I was I, I got up from my seat immediately. I'm like, send him, he's scoring. And then I, I fell back in disbelief when Chris Taylor made a great throw. Because you, you make him make the play. There You put yourself in a situation to succeed. You did that. They just made a better play, and you tip your cap. That's all you can do. It's baseball. It happens.
1: Right off the bat, I thought it was going to be deeper too. It just it kind of died because I think he just didn't hit it on the sweet spot. But I probably would have sent him. I mean, he, exactly what you said, Dom. You got to force Taylor to make that play. He's playing out of position. I mean, he's a utility player, but he's he's playing left field, and and I mean, he he won't make that throw ever again in his career probably. So a little disappointing, but a tough one to take. But I think it's something to build off of uh, when we play the Diamondbacks.
0: And with that, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about this upcoming series against Diamondbacks. Similar to the last episode, I got to talk with a fellow sports journalism student at the Walter Cronkite School, my dear friend, Cole Bradley. He's also a co-host with me on the Golden Spurrow podcast. Here's a conversation I have with him about this upcoming series. And we now welcome Mr. Cole Bradley to Devil's Talking Padres. Cole Bradley, along with me and Bobby, is a sports journalism major at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communications at Arizona State University. Lifelong Diamondbacks fan, follows the team very closely, similar to what Bobby and I do for the Padres. Figured we'd bring on Cole to give some analysis of the Arizona Diamondbacks so far this season. Cole, how are you today? And thank you for joining us.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing pretty good. How about you?
0: Doing great. Had a nice day at work. Now it's time to talk some more Padres, and in this case, Diamondbacks. Mm -hmm. So I was among the people who were very high on the Diamondbacks coming into the season, and I figured a split early on in the season with another playoff-caliber team would be an appropriate way to start for the San Diego Padres. But the Padres jumped out and got three out of four. So what went wrong for the Arizona Diamondbacks in that series?
3: Um well to start and it's pretty much been this uh for the entire year but uh the offense I mean has been I think probably the biggest problem lots of very inconsistent at bats um I think in that Padres series specifically from what I remember um everybody just looked a little antsy probably really excited to finally start the year um and so we sh- they struggled and it 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 really showed and um I mean, even the game that they won um, in the third game of the series, they didn't really get going until, I think it was the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. Um, They didn't really actually start to get the bats rolling until late in the game, which has kind of been the, uh, um, it's been pretty consistent this entire season. Um, I mean, if they get anything going, it's late in the game. Last night was kind of an anomaly. They put up 14 runs, including a nine spot in the fourth, but as far as it went against the Padres, it wasn't. It wasn't very. Uh, it was pretty much tough sledding, and then you got mediocre starts from uh, the starters. Um, I think it was really just Padres hitting was the best, or was better than D-backs pitching. I mean, they had a lot of really patient at bats, a lot of walks in that series. Um, so I think all across the board, it just wasn't a great series for Arizona, and it was just flawless execution by San Diego.
0: Right, and you mentioned getting to starting pitching, having patient at-bats, starting pitchers for the series for the Arizona Diamondbacks game one. It's going to be Luke Weaver. Potters got to him and beat him in game one, or Potters got to him in game four of the opening series. And then Merrill Kelly, who had a very solid outing against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Diamondbacks couldn't come out with the win. And then Madison Bumgarner, who's been quite the disappointment this year. Have any of those guys done better since the Padres last faced them or have they been more the same where they've been hit hard by batters because batters are putting together patient at bats uh,
3: I'd definitely say the latter for the most part I think uh, well Mad Bum had uh, the start in game one of the Astros of this Astros series and he just got rocked early I mean it was two nothing through the first five batters. Um, and then I think it was the fourth or the fifth inning uh, really spiraled out of control for him. He um, Made a throwing error to second base that allowed, I think, an extra runner or two to score. So he really shot himself in the foot. Um, I thought his first two starts weren't horrible. I thought he just really had one bad inning. Um, but then I think this last start against the Astros was really bad. Merrill Kelly had a phenomenal start in which he took a no-hitter into... I think the sixth inning against the Rangers, which was his first start of the year. He's been really solid to start. He's been getting a lot of uh, ground ball outs, Um, not a lot of strikeouts, but he's not a big velocity guy, not a big swing and miss guy anyway. That's kind of his game. And then Luke Weaver, it's been kind of the same. Uh, His problem was he couldn't really get out of the fourth inning against the Padres. And it was much the same in his last start against the Dodgers. I mean, he survived the fourth, but uh, couldn't quite get out of the fifth. So, overall the pitching has been uh, almost identical to what it was in the Padres uh, opening series. And um, hopefully for their sake, they can get back on the right track. Um, You'd love to see that if you're a Diamondbacks fan, as I would love to see it as well. Um, But uh, it's going to be tough sledding if uh, teams can continue to put up those patient at-bats that you were talking about. Um, See a lot of pitches, get deep into counts, um, fight balls off, um, do that kind of thing. So overall, I'd say advantage Padres when it comes to the uh, starting pitching matchups uh, going into the uh, weekend.
0: And another thing you mentioned earlier was that Diamondbacks hitters haven't been as what they were expected to be coming into the season. And so with that, I would assume that lineups have changed a bit since the opening series. Can you give us any insight to how uh, different players are hitting or if there's been some shifting in lineup positioning when it comes to hitting order?
3: Well, in normally Torrey Lavello is the kind of guy to shake up the lineup. It's one of the things I really like about him. Um, he tends to shake up the lineup based on matchups and based on, you know, who's hot and that kind of stuff. But I will say this year, the lineup stayed pretty much the same. He's got uh Quetel Marte uh in, in that leadoff spot. And he's consistently hit Starling Marte in the three hole. Uh, based on his numbers last year with the Pirates in that spot. I think he hit, like, 360, um, hitting a three spot last year. So he's actually been consistently batting him in the three hole. Um, He's moved Christian Walker up into the cleanup spot. Um, He's been one of the more productive hitters for Arizona so far this season. But, um, I mean, as far as performance is concerned, you know, no one's really been moved up up and down the order um, based on performance. I mean, I think he's just kind of stuck with – what he's gone with from day one. Um, But I think he's just kind of been waiting for guys to, to go off kind of like what they did last night. Um, And he always likes to use the term linking at bats. Um, And I feel like he, when he has a set order in mind and obviously he knows his players more than anyone else does. um, And he feels like, you know, those are the best guys Especially from the top of the order, um, who can get going, get the offense going in the right direction. So, as far as the lineup is concerned, not a whole lot of changes, but not a whole lot of um, you know eye-popping performances from anyone thus far.
0: Last question before we head out: Padres had an off day today. Diamondbacks did not. Do you see that as another advantage for the San Diego Padres coming into the series?
3: Um, possibly, I'd say when it comes to really any team this season, um, with the lack of rest days, um, I think everyone's kind of been expecting, um, you know, having lots of travel consistently and having, um, significantly less off days. I don't know if that'll play as, as an advantage. I feel like it might, uh, depending on how this game goes. I mean, if it's, if it goes into extras per se, or like we, um, we get, uh, or the Astros get deep into the bullpen, you know that might play a factor because then arms are going to be tired. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I, I think I think everything will go all right. I mean that's kind of part of baseball. But I will say, having to travel to San Diego the first two times we faced them definitely is a huge advantage for the Padres because normally it's like you have one series on the road and it's like a swap. You do one series on the road, one series back at home. Um, But that's obviously not been the case. So I think honestly, I mean, we'll just have to see how tonight goes. Um, If they get really uh, worn down, especially the pitchers, um, then yes, I can see that off day really playing an advantage for San Diego going into tomorrow, to say the least.
0: It's going to wrap up my discussion with Cole Bradley sports journalism student at Arizona State University and the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication. Colt, thanks for coming on. Good luck to you guys in the series. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Colt. So, guys, let's preview this upcoming series with the Diamondbacks. Potters already faced them opening week, took three out of four against them. I was personally surprised that we did that. I was really just hoping to split the series with them. I think highly of the Arizona Diamondbacks, a lot higher than a lot of other people, so maybe that's just me. But I think they're a better team than their record shows. What do you guys think about the Arizona Diamondbacks now that we are a fifth of the way through the season and they're only 4-8? and They're last in our division, though.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a 60-game season, so, of course, any team can get hot at any time, but I'm very surprised at, at how disappointing they've been so far. They, I mean, they just had a tough series. They played four against the Dodgers, lost three out of those four, and they actually split two with the Astros. So those are some good teams right there, and they went two and four right there. So, but the game that they had on Wednesday, that was impressive. They blew out the Astros. Their bats were looking great, and they won fourteen to seven.
1: They're going to be coming off of a fourteen to seven win, as Bobby said. Uh, they scored nine runs in the fourth inning on Wednesday versus Houston. And like Dom said, um, they have a potent lineup and to start the se- to start the season, uh, I thought that a split would be ideal as well. But Catal Marte and Starling Marte now, Cole Calhoun, who raked against us to begin the year. Um, David Peralta always hits well against us. So this is by no means an easy series. And I think by coming out, and again, beating them, hopefully winning this series, is just gonna keep the Padres uh, in contention. And yeah.
2: Yeah, and one, one thing that that I'm kind of happy to see is for this rubber match that the Diamondbacks have on Thursday against the Astros, they'll have Zach Gallen pitching, so we won't see him this weekend. He's one of those guys in the rotation who's tougher than the others, I think. We ju- we just saw Bumgarner get rocked, and we just saw Luke Weaver get absolutely rocked. He He's allowed six runs in both of his games so far, and one of them was against us. So I'm glad that, I mean, they could always turn it around, but I'm glad that we'll be seeing Weaver and a called Bumgarner instead of Zach Allen right now.
0: Chase Tingler announced uh, earlier this morning that Zach Davies will be skipping uh, over Joey Lucchese, and he'll be starting the first game on Friday against Luke Weaver. So Zach Davies... Didn't get to pitch against the Diamondbacks earlier on in the season, but Padres did get to face Luke Weaver, and he started that game in which the Padres won 6-2. Uh, I like our chances in this matchup. What do you guys think about this one?
1: Uh, I like our chances too, Dom. Uh, I mean, we did it to begin the year, and I don't think there's any reason why we can't do it again.
2: Yeah, so for this series, if we see Davies start it off, and then you know, Saturday, Sunday could be Paddock and Lamette, I honestly – It'll, it'll be tough. Uh, I mean, it, it'll be nice to have Paddock and Lamette pitching with those games, but it'll be nice to, tr- to try and take these wins from the D-backs before we go back and play four more games against the Dodgers. And right now, if Davies pitches Saturday, then we'll have Richard start off the series against the Dodgers. But So I'd honestly love to see Lamette pitch against the Dodgers instead of the D-backs,
0: but whatever Tingler wants to do, it's up to him. Yeah. I kind of disagree with you on that point just because – I've I've already said multiple times, the games against the Dodgers I don't think are that important because the other teams are going to lose to the Dodgers as well. You gotta make sure you beat the D backs, in my opinion. So I'd I'd get your guys against the D backs. Then you yes. got Richards, you got Lucchese slash Quantrill, slash whoever, game two. You can go back to Davies and then maybe Paddock in the final one. So I think that lining up Davies, Paddock, and Lamette against the D-backs, which is a possibility. They could also go Lucchese or Quantrill on Saturday and then Paddock on Sunday. I think whichever way you go there, I I think you got to get these games against the D-backs.
1: Yeah, I like what you're saying here, Dom, too. Uh, I just think that we're the most competitive for the Diamondbacks, and we're going to be competing with them during this 60-game season. These games are some of the most important games of the year. And with the D-back starting off poorly, I think that with us winning the series, it'll be even more of a uh, hinder their momentum and will really discourage them um, in their chances. So I'm excited for what's to come.
2: And, John, um, thank you for your take on that. I Now that I think about it, that makes a lot more sense.
1: Right. And so let's let's talk about
0: who downbacks have projected because they have their probable starters. So we already talked about Friday with Luke Weaver, and then we've got Merrill Kelly scheduled for Saturday's game. Merrill Kelly, he pitched very well the other night against the Houston Astros, and he's been a guy that he's been kind of a journeyman throughout the MLB going forward. He spent some time in the KBO, which I know if you're a true baseball fan, you've been watching some of those games uh, over the offseason. But in his career, he's got a... 4.29 ERA, but this year so far in 13 innings, he's got a 2.63 ERA and 11 strikeouts and an under one whip. So Kelly, he's been pretty solid this year. I don't think we can just walk over this game, but if we got Chris Paddock on the mound, we're certainly going to have the upper hand.
2: Yeah, through his two starts this year, Merrill Kelly, as you said, said has looked very good, and he, he went six innings, th- three runs against a very good Dodgers lineup, and he just got no help that game. Um, but he's looked very good this year.
1: Again, uh, Kelly's been good. Um, another thing that I'd like to touch on is uh, about Hosmer coming back in the lineup. I think I heard something about possibly this weekend uh, him being entered back in, and I think that that's just another bat that'll help us uh, with this pretty good Diamondback staff, and it'll be good. To, it'll be good to have him back uh, because. I think that it's it's telling uh, what's been going on the past few games without him in the lineup, and I think that uh, he provides a lot of leadership, and players feed off of his energy. So.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree, and hopefully he comes back Saturday. We're not totally sure yet, but and he as we all know, he's only played three games this year, and he was in those th- three games he's played in that first weekend. He was the hardest hitter in the league um in that very short sample but if he comes back what do you what do you guys think we put him P- put him at first base or slide Cronenworth to second or put Hosmer at
0: DH what do you guys think I think it's actually a pretty good idea to slide him in at DH just to get him worked back in make him worry just about hitting at first because he's been ill and when you're like that you're not going to be in 100% athletic shape so A, having him off the field is going to benefit him hitting-wise. And B, you can just have him focus on hitting, get back in his groove. And then once he's totally healthy, 100% ready, you can slide him back in at first. Or you could just keep him in at DH if Cronenworth continues to play like how he is. And if you want to keep that Garcia pro-far platoon situation like Bobby and I have talked about multiple times on this podcast, I I think there's plenty of options for Hosmer, but he needs to be put back in the lineup soon because with him the Padres are 3-0 without him they're 3-6 and so I I mean that's pretty telling right there
1: yeah Dom I think that's a great take uh, I actually there's been a picture um, floating around on Twitter of Hosmer and he's noticeably skinnier and I think that again putting him at DH like you said would be a good way of just easing him into the action um, and then of course, once he's healthy, just putting him, slotting him into first, either moving Cronenworth to second, depending on the production, or moving Cronenworth to DH. I think he has to stay in the lineup at this point. And then the
0: final starter for the backs on Sunday's game is Madison Bumgarner. And Bumgarner, he looked very solid for the first five and two-thirds innings against the Padres. But after that, he kind of got worn down by the Padres hitters. And ever since then, he just has not been good. His ERA is up over seven on the season and his fastball average velocity is three miles an hour lower than what it was at the end of last year. He's just not pitching real well. The Potter definitely got to take advantage of this game no matter who they pitch. And I know a moment ago, I just said that we need to try and get our best guys out there and take the game against the backs, But this is definitely a game where the Potters can take advantage of the fact that Bumgarner is not pitching well. If they feel like it, they can maybe try Lucchese for this game, or even Cal Quantrill. See how he's doing as a starter. He's yet to get a start in the season. He was pretty good for stretches last year, end of August and into September. He was not good. But there's options here, and you got to take advantage of a not pitching well Madison Bumgarner early on. What do you guys think of the Sunday game?
2: Yeah, I think if if Bumgarner just doesn't have his stuff, I think that. And we should easily take this game. And it depends on who we have pitching out there. Whoever it is, I think they should be able to to shut down those D-backs fast. But they do have a good lineup. Over the over the full season, obviously, they have Ketel Marte. Christian Walker's been heating up. Um, Starling Marte, of course. But over the last week, they haven't had that many hitters be that hot. The, the team isn't has kind of cooled off in the last week, as they have all season. But um, – yeah, Christian Walker's been their their hottest hitter right now over the, over the last week. So he's one guy to watch out for. He I don't think he's that he wasn't that good against us in that first series. So he's one guy to look at in this upcoming series.
1: Yeah, just going back to Bumgarner. Um, I thought that when he signed that five-year, eighty-five million dollar deal, it was it was a little interesting because of how much wear and tear he's had on his arm. I mean. He was a Giants regular when he was 20 years old um, and he just turned 31. So I'm not surprised about his dip in velocity, but just going back to his lack of effectiveness, he's averaging a career low 6.5 strikeouts per nine. He's allowing career highs and walks per nine at 3.5 and homers per nine at 1.8. So I think that, I mean, it's a great time for the Potters to take advantage of his struggles. Um, And just to capitalize on uh, the lack of velocity and lack of command that he's been having. Right, And with that, that's going to wrap up this podcast.
0: Cade, thank you for coming on. You got any final notes before we head out?
1: No, thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. And Bobby, you got anything
2: to say before we head out? Uh, Just hoping that we can break this small little losing streak and turn it into a winning streak against the Diamondbacks.
0: Yep, gotta take advantage of struggling down backs team before we go face the Dodgers again, cause if you don't if you don't take the series, you could find yourself under 500 and out of a playoff spot in just over a week. With that, that's gonna wrap up Devil's Talking Padres. As always, follow us on Twitter. Follow me at DM Stern 19. Bobby Murphy at Bobby Murphy 2000 Follow East Village Times at EVT underscore news and check out our content at Eastvillagetimes.com. go ahead and follow Cade on twitter Cade, you know your twitter handle
1: oh it's at kade k11
0: there you go you have it kade k11 so i'm gonna wrap up this podcast thank you for tuning in as always if you want to be a guest on a future episode dm me on twitter dm stern 19 we can get that hooked up for you we got a couple of guests possibly in line that i reached out to but you can definitely follow them up and that's gonna wrap it up thank you for tuning in as always go Padres and we'll catch you guys next time